Future-proof gold from Newstalk. So for centuries, alternative medicine has emphasized the importance of the mind-body relationship. And when you think about it, there are a number of examples of how just using our mind or seemingly innocuous things, we can actually have an effect on our bodies. We can lower our uh, blood pressure by thinking about it. If you train yourself to do that, there are uh, people who've managed to walk on coals. And there are anecdotal examples of people who have used superhuman strength to lift cars off trapped bodies and so on. So how are these things actually happening? And is it possible to affect our body using just our mind? There's a huge amount of pseudoscience in this area. So I'm delighted to invite Dr. Jo Martin to the studio. She is an award-winning science journalist and author of Cure, the Science of Mind Over Body. Welcome to the program, Jo. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Love this subject. I think it's really, really fascinating. And I suppose, first things first, we should probably say that you you come from a science background. So you were looking at this area of alternative medicine and mind over matter and mind over body from a scientific point of view. Yeah, so I have a, a PhD in genetics and medical microbiology. I've been a science journalist for many years. And I was just intrigued by this subject because it's so polarised, this debate. So we know from experience that our minds can affect our bodies, you know, just as you were saying, and imagine just being almost missed by a car and you feel your heart racing. So we know that there are these connections. But when it comes to whether that can influence our health, you suddenly have this really polarised debate with all of these claims of miracle cures on one side from alternative therapists. And then on the other side, you've got sceptics who say that any idea of healing thoughts is deluded. So I just wanted to look at the science and find out what do we really know about how and why the mind influences health. Let's talk about this idea of healing oneself then, because there are people in the world who are still paid to do what's called spiritual healing, where they would perform this sort of ritual and remove sometimes a tumour from someone's body through the skin and there'd be a bit of blood, but you wouldn't have any idea how the surgery happened and supposedly this tumour disappeared, right? It sounds absolutely ridiculous. And I think a lot of these people have been shown as being charlatans. But theoretically, there might be potential for us to heal ourselves using thought and meditation and so on. Yeah, so unfortunately, when it comes to the idea of healing thoughts or the mind playing a role in health, there seems to be this assumption that the mind is some mysterious, magical power that cannot be explained, that can heal anything. And that's clearly not true. The mind is not a miracle cure. It cannot magic up chemicals that the body needs, insulin in a patient with diabetes, for example. It can't banish a tumour. It's not going to help when the body is overwhelmed by serious infection, injuries. Um, But that doesn't mean that the mind doesn't have an effect. I would see it more as As biology, it's a matter of survival. We've evolved so that our mental perception of our surroundings feeds into our physiology. And of course, in some cases, that's going to play a role in health. And sometimes that can be dramatic and immediate for symptoms that we're consciously aware of, things like pain, nausea, fatigue, depression. Studies are showing that the mind plays a really crucial role in those. And those changes aren't imaginary, they're underpinned by biological changes that are very similar to the changes caused by drugs. And we can talk about that a bit more in a minute, if you like. But then at other times, the mind is more subtle. It's affecting our disease risk over long periods of time. So it becomes more like a lifestyle factor, like diet or exercise. So there there clearly are important factors there. But we need to understand when the mind works, how it works. You know, it's not just a magical miracle cure that we can say will help us in all circumstances. I presume you're referring to the concept of placebo, which in recent decades has shown just incredible things. The idea that if you think you're going to get something that's like a treatment, 
even if you don't get it, you still get a huge benefit from it. And there's really interesting research there. Yeah, this is a really interesting area of research because it's looking at what happens when people respond to fake treatments that they think are real. So it's kind of a very pure example of mind over body, if you like. And yeah, it used to be thought that the placebo effect was a bit of an illusion. You know, if people get better after having a fake treatment, then they presumably they would have got better anyway. A lot of people do get better with time, regardless of what treatment they have. Or maybe they just think they feel better, but nothing's actually physically changed. Um, But what neuroscientists are finding now is that when people respond to placebo, you have these measurable biological changes similar to those caused by drugs. So to give a few examples, when we respond to a placebo painkiller, there's the release of endorphins in the brain, these natural pain-relieving chemicals that opioid drugs, things like morphine and heroin, are designed to mimic. They bind to the same receptors as endorphins. So if you take a placebo painkiller and your pain is eased, you haven't imagined that. That's a biological change that's happened, the same as you would have got if you'd taken a placebo painkiller. In Parkinson's disease, the symptoms, the problems with movement that patients suffer are because of a lack of the neurotransmitter dopamine. When Parkinson's patients respond to placebo, they get a release in the brain not of endorphins, but of dopamine, as they would with the real drug. They've seen the sort of the clinical effect in terms of the reduced tremor, but they've also measured that right down to the level of single neurons firing in the brain. So they've seen that placebo response at the cellular level. And then in altitude sickness, for example, you you know, people at the top of a mountain in low oxygen conditions, you can give them fake oxygen and see a reduction in the levels of chemicals called prostaglandins, which are released in low oxygen conditions and are behind many of the symptoms of altitude sickness. So these are real biological changes that are being triggered by thoughts and beliefs. Wow. So there is a possibility for us to sort of train our bodies, isn't there, in the same way that Pavlov trained his dog? Yeah, absolutely. So with Pavlov's dogs, he trained them to associate being fed with a sort of neutral psychological cue like a light or a sound until eventually they would salivate just in response to the light or the sound. You didn't need to have the meat there anymore. These are called learned associations. And they affect people as well. And they affect many different aspects of physiology. So where placebo effects or conscious beliefs might affect mainly symptoms like pain, fatigue, These learned associations affect hormone levels, the um, cardiovascular system, the immune system, all of those aspects of physiology that the brain is controlling but aren't necessarily under conscious control. So, for example, there's a really interesting line of research where they're trying to use these learned associations in transplant patients to try to suppress the immune system without the use of drugs or to reduce the dose of drugs. So if you take uh, an immunosuppressant drug couple of times, your body learns the appropriate response to that drug. So if you subsequently take a placebo, your body will automatically suppress the immune system in the same way. And it doesn't matter what you know about that placebo, you know, that's irrelevant. It's an, a kind of an automatic physiological is, response. It, is that you have to get it, it has to look like the same thing and so on. So your brain, your body thinks, oh, this is this is more of the same. Yeah. Do, so, do they match that with audio or visuals in the same way that Pavlov did? I mean, is yes, it possible? Actually, do they? So okay. in this particular trial, it's in Germany that I went to, to see some of the patients. They, they take their immunosuppressant drugs every morning. And what they do is for a few days, they take them with this bizarre drink it's strawberry milk mixed with green food colouring and lavender oil. Uh-huh. So I tried it, it's disgusting. So it's very, it's, um, very specific. It tastes and- purple, it looks green, yeah, it's bittersweet. And also they were encouraged to listen to the same music each time they did this. So one guy that I spoke to listened to Johnny Cash help me every morning as he did okay. this. So you're creating this sort of sensory situation that your body is associating with that drug. So do that few times to learn it and then subsequently the idea is that you drink the drink and listen to the music and that will suppress the immune system without 
the drug. And do they know that's what they're doing? Is it conscious placebo or do the doctors not tell them that they're not giving They know exactly how the trial is working. Yeah, it's a bit like if you think right now about biting into a nice juicy lemon and just imagine swallowing the juice and it going down your throat and you might start to feel a little tingling at the back of your mouth where your salivary glands are kicking into action. Yeah. It doesn't matter if there's if you know it's not a real lemon. It just happens automatically. So that's the same principle that these work on. So the idea is that then these patients could alternate the drug with this green drink to get overall the same immunosuppression so they don't reject the transplant, but with a lower drug dose. And that's really important because these drugs are incredibly toxic and actually toxic often to the very organ that you're trying to save. And presumably they can measure that the immune system is being suppressed. They don't just hope it is. There's a way of measuring that that placebo is working. Yeah, you can look at the levels of chemical messengers in the blood, for example. So yeah, they're not just hoping it works. (laughs) So we can sort of mess with the mind with new technologies, can't we? And virtual reality being an example. Yeah, absolutely. So placebo research is one of the areas of research that's telling us how important the brain is when it comes to determining our experience of symptoms like pain. And one lesson from that is that we can start to try and maximise placebo responses when it comes to the drugs that we take. So enhancing positive expectations, um, increasing the sort of social interaction and care surrounding the drugs that are delivered. But then another way that scientists are going is looking at sort of developing new technologies and approaches that are evidence based that try and take advantage of the role of the mind in pain. And one of the things that I found really persuasive when researching the book was this virtual reality world that I got to try it. Um, It's called Snow World. And you put on like the virtual reality goggles and noise cancelling headphones and suddenly you're floating in this virtual ice canyon with walls of ice either side of you, a little stream going below and you can fire snowballs at the, the snowmen and mammoths and penguins that are around you. And this has been developed to help patients who are undergoing some of the most severe pain in medicine. They're severe burns patients. A lot of them are soldiers who've been injured in explosions in Iraq and Afghanistan. And burns patients, they have to undergo these agonising sessions of wound care, either where the dead tissue is scrubbed out of their burns, or later as they heal, they have to have this physiotherapy to literally tear apart the scar tissue as it forms, so they still have that range of movement. And patients often say that this is more painful than being burned in the first place. Even on the highest safe doses of painkillers, they're still in agonising pain. So researchers have been looking at whether if they're immersed in snow world and playing this game during those wound care sessions, can that help? And it turns out in trials that that eases their pain by up to 50% in addition to the pain relief that they're getting from drugs. Wow. Um, the idea is that the brain only has a, uh, a limited capacity for conscious attention. So if your attention is being grabbed by something very compelling like this game, there's less attention left over for experiencing the pain. And it, really? It, I, there's good science behind that? Yeah, absolutely. This is being done at the University of Washington Medical Center okay. in Seattle. They've got a lot of clinical trials now. That sounds like you know, it's essentially just a distraction method. It's on... basically distraction, yeah. And it's probably something that a lot of people have experienced, that if you're in pain and suddenly you're thinking about something else, immersed in something else, you're less aware of that pain. And then you realize later, oh, yeah, the pain's still there. But this is trying to take it to another level. So they found that it seems to be the immersion that's the key. If you're immersed in that virtual reality, it's more powerful than say listening to music or playing a normal video game and actually interesting they found that if you combine it with the drug ketamine that seems to enhance people's sense of immersion and then it works even better um so i got to try this snow world where they applied burning pain to my foot not on ketamine which not i didn't get the ketamine which was this intense 
really unpleasant, burning pain, impossible to ignore. And then in the game, I mean, I was vaguely aware of it, but it just didn't seem relevant. I was having far too much fun throwing my snowballs and would have been perfectly happy to continue. So that really showed me on a personal level how important these things can be. Yeah, I mean, having tried virtual reality myself, it is a really immersive experience. You can see why it's so much more powerful than someone saying, watch TV while I do this, or, you know, trying to take someone's attention away while you give them an injection, which, you know, you have to do with your kids and the the GP all the time. You were kind of talking about, uh, you know, people sometimes can sort of ignore the pain. And we do hear of these amazing stories of people who, despite having a broken leg, can manage to, you know, run away from danger or people who can, you know, lift cars off people or the example of athletes who can keep running a victory lap after they've, you know, run for miles, you know. How is that possible? Well, this comes down to the similar principle to placebo effects, actually, which is that symptoms that we experience, like pain and fatigue, they're not an inevitable consequence of physical damage to the body, like infection or injury. Like, those things are obviously important, but what scientists are realising is that our mental state, our psychological perception is feeding in So, you know, we feel pain and fatigue for a reason, right? They've evolved as warning signs. They are there to change our behaviour, to tell us that something is wrong and make us take action to get out of that situation. You know, pain isn't just there to make us feel miserable. It has this purpose. So as well as the physical signs from the body, also things like temperature and oxygen levels from our environment feed in. You know, when it's hot, you feel more fatigued than usual. In low oxygen conditions, you feel more fatigued than usual. But also, when the brain is calculating what level of pain or fatigue you should be feeling, it's also taking into account psychological cues about your environment so generally if you feel in danger threatened stressed alone that will trigger biological changes in the brain that ramp up your sensitivity to these symptoms and that's what's happening with those mass psychogenic illnesses but if you feel safe supported you've received what you think is effective medical treatment then that's telling your brain that the crisis is over it you know releases endorphins or whatever it ramps down your sensitivity there's no longer the need for those symptoms but sometimes if you're in very extreme danger then that can have the reverse effect. So if you've broken your ankle, for example, normally the pain would be telling you to stop, rest, don't put your weight on that foot. But if you're being chased by a predator or somebody with a gun or whatever it is, it will just erase that pain because the most important thing for you, for your survival at that moment, is going to be to run for your life and then you'll feel the pain later. So that's just an example of how all the time the brain is constructing and controlling those symptoms. Or, yeah, if somebody is trapped under a car, usually with fatigue... We feel fatigued well ahead of the point at which our muscles are exhausted and running out of oxygen. And if you think about it, if we didn't feel fatigued until that was happening, that would be pretty dangerous. You'd be living a very intense life. If you were getting 100% out of your muscles all the yeah, time, you'd, you'd be... probably lose teeth from grinding, you'd, your fingernails are digging to your flesh and that sort of well, thing. Well, also, you'd be, you'd be damaging yourself every time you went for a run. And then if you went for a run and then something happened where you needed to run a bit further, you'd be Yeah, done. you'd have no reserves. And this is why in yeah when we see runners racing in the Olympics and they cross the finish line and they've given it everything 100% and then they bounce up and start doing a victory lap there's still that reserve of energy there and so that's why when it's needed if you're in an emergency situation the brain can release that reserve of energy so that we can use it well it's really interesting speaking with you the book is called cure a journey into the science of mind over body looking at the hard evidence behind some of these claims it's written by dr joe marchant thank you so much for joining us joe really enjoy that Thanks so much for having me on.